Hey, Dick Phone. It's Hawkeye. Well, December 25th, 2008. Ho, ho, ho. Merry fucking Christmas, Mr. Pierce. Things come back full circle, it would seem. First, Tabitha shows up. Reminded of the days when I did not look like the Joker. Yeah, actually it's not that bad. Maybe I should just grow a beard and screw bureau policy. And it turns out that all this time we've been lodged in the catacombs of the Jackson Square Cathedral, which is pretty much where our little romp in the Big Easy began. Second circle. And last but not least, another Christmas, another trip to the dreamlands, just like last year. Third circle. So, a brief summary of the proceedings, perhaps? Yeah. Well, the trial was more interesting for the sideshows than anything else. Vampiric society, at least in New Orleans, seems to be hierarchical. You got clans with groups of vampires that have similar traits. For instance, our friend Hedges is apparently something called a Nosferatu, while Isabeau is a Tremere. So the Nosferatus are freaks who look remarkably like that guy from the 1922 movie the same name, Nosferatu. I think this means that I just solved a Hollywood mystery because the so-called actor who played Count Orlock the vampire in that flick was credited as Max Shrek. But Max Shrek only had one screen credit and he was never seen or heard of again. <laughs> I think we now know why. So the Tremere's are sorcerers and then there are others. The Bruja, they seem to be warrior thugs. That uh, dreadlock friend of ours and the Hispanic lady, Lady Latina, Bianca Sabina is her name. And the guy with the katana, that's Master Yoon. Our three Matrix friends are all Bruja. And there are political factions which seem to cut across clan lines. I think they call them covenants. The vamps seemed to congregate in their covenants for Jeanette's trial, which took place in the cathedral floor itself. And it doesn't look like they get along with each other. From what I understand, the Novas, my acronym for the New Orleans Vampire Association, seems to be under the nominal rule of a guy they call a prince. In this case, Prince Vidal, who looks a bit like Fabio after taking an extended dip in a bath full of bleach and several Botox treatments. He has a deputy prince, one Lord Savoy, which kind of made me giggle inappropriately because isn't that a kind of cabbage? Anyway, he's a tall, neatly bearded, older-looking man, and the two of them do not seem eye to eye. They refer to themselves as kindred, and to us mortals as kind. I looked that up. It means cattle. <laughs> nice. So as it turns out, Jeanette caused interference between Delta Green's war efforts and the Nova war efforts. 
Her spell, which she had cast whilst we were in White Town, may have helped us by out by hastening dawn, but had some unintended consequences. The main of which is that it had the effect of swapping Devereaux's. Yeah, that's multiple, in case you were wondering. It pushed out Cecile Devereaux and brought in Rochelle Devereaux. Now, Rochelle is a vampire who was on a mission, along with some other vamps, in the struggle against the Iron Army. Well, my ears perked up when I heard that moniker. So Cecile landed in Rochelle's body, and Rochelle landed, by her design, in another Lafarge spell, it seems, in Cecile's body. Oh, and Rochelle is, of course, Cecile's mother. I thought I should mention that. And Rochelle's body is in the Dreamlands. And as a result of the proceedings, a bit of a petty problem from a courtroom drama point of view. So Lord Cabbage, uh, I mean Savoy, stood up and declared that Jeanette was his creature and that he should be responsible for her. I'm not certain what that all means, but it would seem that Genie Baby might not get executed or eaten. At one point during the proceedings, one faction stormed out. This was after Isabeau had made a spectacular appearance, something I guess she's kind of a past mistress at. She was referred to as the Regent, and even the Dandy Prince seemed to be on his guard around her. Well, it's a good thing she likes Tabitha, and it's a good thing Tabitha likes us. Well, me and Frosty, at least. Wilmot and Chief were muttering base insinuations that I should put a bit more effort into making friends. But hey, what do they know? Isabeau took us aside, basically filled in some blanks. The quitters in protest she referred to as the Order. She looked at me and stated blankly that they were involved with the Iron Army and I needed no explanation on that point. At which point the others gave me dirty looks. They clearly conveyed the message that once more I was holding out on them. She intimated that our struggle against Steno and the Nova's involvement with the Iron Army might open possibilities, and that she was about to talk to the Prince about a proposal of mutual interest to the Nova's, as well as to us. At which point we were escorted back to ourselves for a gloomy Christmas meal. Breaded turkey escalop, fries, and Caesar salad, if you must know, during which time I tried to gain some trust with my fearless troops by telling them what I remembered about the Dreamlands. Now, Chief was still sulking, probably because I was ready to drop Jeanette into it, all for the cause. But Chief, don't pretend to even judge me until you walked a couple of miles in my shoes. December 26, 2008. So, after minding my own business, trying to impart what little I knew of the Dreamlands to the others, we were summoned. Let there be no doubt about things. As far as the Novas are concerned, they are a boss. Very appropriately, as it was Boxing Day, they have a gift for us, in the form of our old friend, Michael Devlin. Well, they had him wrapped up, bound tighter and gagged. Apparently, my good and dear old friend, Mr. Devlin, was skipping the country on his way to Jamaica. After we cut off the gag, the quality of communication improved, 
of level of discourse did not. The Vamps basically informed us that, like any gift, we were free to do with it as we pleased. So, as far as I was concerned, Devlin's ticket was already punched. It was just a matter of getting all possible information out of him first. Chief grew a conscience, objected, and walked off. Frost and Wilmot didn't have quite the same concerns. They started punching the living daylights out of him. Me? Hmm. Well, whilst in the pits, I had dreamt about this occasion. I had all but told Devin that I'd be very creative when, not if, I ever got my hands on him. But now he was there, uh, I simply could not be bothered. Most of my efforts just went into trying to get Tabitha out of the room. Things were going to get ugly, and ghoul or not, there are some things a 17-year-old does not need to see. I wanted to get things over with his cleaning as quickly as possible. Davlin was not particularly talkative, verbally abusive even. Maybe that's why he never got along, or with me. Deep down inside, we're both maladjusted, profane sons of bitches, except he managed to hide it better. Several of the Novas hang around. One of them offered his services, called himself Poco, and was constantly playing with masks. More than a bit unhinged. Poco Loco, I thought, and I'll be damned if that not, not turn out to be his actual name. He's definitely mental, so I figured he has a way with other people's minds. He then put on one of his masks, a blank, faceless one, even as he reached out to touch Devlin, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up, and I got a flashback to Jackson Square, the dancers with the blank faces. Then Devlin started twitching, and Poco got an odd look in his eyes and started speaking. I am coming, Devlin said, speaking in tongues. Huh, good for you. Chief rushed to Devlin, and when he as much as touched him, he started swaying in time and talking gibberish, too. The Novas swung into action, and alarms went off. Someone was calling to go and find Hedges the jailer. I remember trying to rip Chief off Devlin, and the things got even weirder. He was on the floor, eyes wide open, but turned inwards. I could only see the white of his eyes. His back was making angles that no living man's back should make. Chief confirmed the obvious. Devlin bought the farm, sang the final tune, kicked the bucket, was written in the dead book, went ad patris, dead R.I.P. Afterwards, the prince took all four of us aside. Hedges and a lot of the other V's were circling about. The Nova Highness states, quite matter-of-factly, that Poco had accidentally opened a channel to the king in yellow, who spoke to us through him. He suggested that we have a common goal. That's the prince, not the king in yellow. And that a joint operation, that was my words, not his, might be both uh, to both of our group's mutual benefit. I presume that by my group, he meant the boys in green rather than the bureau. I decided to talk it over with the others. There was no sense in forcing anyone to go through with this. I'm not too astonished, though, when 
all three of them sign up straight away. No argument. Of course, I'm no idiot. They're not following me, of course. They want to go save Devereaux. So, so be it. So we were taken downstairs and equipped for the equivalent of the 1500s. We're headed for the dreamlands, just like last year. And there, technology stops round about the 15th century. It's like last year, but with one difference. We're going to the vampire dreamlands, which are separate. And there's a red ship that's going to be waiting for us. There will be the four of us, and for the Novas, Tabitha, Isabel, although she's been off everybody's radar since yesterday, even Tabitha, who's supposed to have a special bond with her, claims that she can't be reached. Yoon, the Bruja, one of the heavies that apprehended us in the first place. Pyotr Kakovsky, sounds Russian, but who can tell? And their merry leader, and I suppose the overall leader, which makes sense, at the same time it doesn't, Sir Royston Charteris, apparently from Los Angeles. Where else? Well, I think I'll leave the dictaphone here. I'll just turn it into a quillin piece of parchment where we're going.